Hello and welcome to Better at Work, the podcast that will inspire you to achieve betterness in your working life. Discover how to navigate the pitfalls, challenges and work jerkery that may be getting in your way. Learn how simple changes, being authentic and even using humor can be game-changing. I'm your host, Carl Quinlan. I've spent 20 years helping people and global organizations to be better. And now I'm here to share my practical tips and real life stories with you, as well as insights from my conversations with some incredible people. So join me as we explore how we can all be better at work. Because when work is better, life is better. Hello and welcome to Better at Work. On this episode, I am so excited to be joined by the award-winning educational leader and author, Joe Hirsch. Now, Joe is an internationally recognized expert on leadership and communication and has earned so many accolades from Fortune 500 executives to NFL coaches for his forward-thinking approach to improving organizational culture and effectiveness. And guess what? He's also been described by Adam Grant as a breath of fresh air. That's a pretty big recognition there. In his best-selling book, The Feedback Fix, Joe presents a fearless alternative to traditional feedback. Joe uses relatable research, memorable stories, and powerful models that help leaders and teams turn feedback into a cause for joy, not fear. Hey, we want that. His work and research has been featured in a number of acclaimed publications such as the Harvard Business Review, Forbes, the Wall Street Journal and other major outlets. And Joe is joining us today from Maryland, which I know very well, and I'm so delighted to have someone from Maryland on the show. Joe, welcome to Better at Work. Hi, Kahal. It's great to be with you. Thank you so much, Joe. Now, we kick off every conversation with the question, where did this all start for you, Joe? How did you become so interested in feedback of all things? Yeah, how many kids grow up saying they want to study feedback? (laughs) Not many, not many. And that was not my design career path. But one of the things that became very clear to me as an educator is that we spend a lot of time giving feedback out but we don't do a very good job considering what is coming out of our mouths when we give that feedback. And so it led me through a series of personal and professional journeys to better understand how this message and mindset can be better suited for joy and not fear. And the things that we can do, the very practical things we can do to make a real difference in not just what we say, but what others hear. You've had your own experience with feedback as well, impacted yourself in your own career. I've heard you talk about it a lot, and I think a lot of people would feel very similar to you. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that? About 10 years ago, I came to a crossroads in my career. I was at a job that I loved, working with people who I liked, doing the kinds of things that brought me joy. But there came a point, Kyle, where I became blind to the way that others were seeing me. And the things that I thought were true about how others knew me were not, in fact, the case. And that over time built up and ultimately boiled over to a point where it was having a terrible effect on my relationships. It was draining the life out of those relationships. It was impacting the work that I was doing and ultimately brought me to a point where I almost lost the job and all of the work that I had worked so hard to build towards. If it wasn't for just one person asking me a very simple question, 
you know, who do you want to be? And sparking within me this awareness of how the person that I thought I was was truly not the person that others knew me to be, then I would not have been able to recover and ultimately repair uh, those relationships. And it really reinforced for me the power of fearless feedback because I was way too afraid of hearing uncomfortable truths or learning some of the less favorable parts of myself. I didn't want to confront those things. And so I ran from them and not towards them. And with a different message and a different mindset, I was able to change not only the way that I received feedback and shared it, but now help others do the same. I think it's fantastic you've turned that into something good. That would have been a very tough period, I'm sure. You know, I mean, lots of us can't, you know, dread feedback. You know, when you hear that phrase, have you got a minute? I used to always go, oh my God, have you got a minute? get anxious about it. And it sounded like your story really resonated with me because you did everything to avoid it. You did everything to run away from feedback. And then it it turned into something quite difficult for you. And you, you know, if you hadn't had that person come and say that to you, it could have been quite a sounded like from what you said here and in previous shows, it was having quite a detrimental impact on on so many aspects of your life. It was. And and it's because feedback ultimately leaves us feeling defeated and depleted, right? The, the conversations that usually take place, whether they're at work or in, at home in our relationships, they tend to focus on our weaknesses and not our strengths. They tend to focus on the past and not the future. And they tend to leave us feeling like less of ourselves and not more. And ultimately that message, the message of fear, the message of you are who you are, and this is not gonna change, that does not allow us to become our best selves. We can't go back and change the past, but we can start right where we are and fix the future. We can go forward with something I call feed forward, which is this whole new outlook and outlet for fearless conversations, whether those are taking place at work or at home. And they leave people feeling empowered, encouraged, and ultimately ready for their next steps, wherever those steps lead. Some people are more sensitive than others. I had the amazing Melody Wilding on here last season, and she talked a lot about sensitive strivers and how certain portion of the population actually are more sensitive than others to their environment. And things like feedback make them super anxious. And actually being sensitive is a strength in lots of ways as well, right? Because you pick up signals that other people don't. The balance can get out of whack, right? So things like feedback and being anxious about feedback can really get in your head and 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 cause a lot of issues for people. And maybe this is just me talking as an Irish person growing up in Ireland. We have a lot of Catholic guilt. So we're like <laughs> even more sensitive to anyone saying anything negative about us. This is why I wanted to get you on the show, Joe, because I think your message is very real for a lot of people. A lot of people would feel very similar to you in terms of being anxious about feedback. And what I love about your message is we recently did a poll of our listeners because we're asking for topics that they wanted us to feature on the show. And it's interesting, feedback came out as one of the top. So many people messaged us uh, on our poll on LinkedIn and they said, look, we would love you to cover the topic because we're so anxious about feedback, everything about giving feedback, receiving feedback, etc. This is a very big question. Where do you think we are in relation to feedback right now? Because you're out there with companies every day. What's your sense on where feedback is in the world right now? The good news is that feedback has really changed in terms of the way that we design and deliver it at work. 
And I think for many companies now, there's no longer a question uh, that the frequency and the form of feedback really matter. And it can't be something that is seasonal. It can't be something that is sporadic. It has to be something that lives and breathes within the walls and relationships of the people and the organizations they serve. Where I see an opportunity still for more fearless feedback is specifically in how people receive those messages. Managers are doing a better job now at arranging more frequent check-ins, more continuous opportunities for improvement with their reports. What I continue to run into with organizations is the friction of, well, how do I manage all of that information? And what do I do with it? Because very often that feedback leaves us feeling bitter, not better. And so one of the things that I think we can do a good job at, and maybe even do a better job at, uh, to be better at work, is to start receiving feedback more fearlessly. And there are some specific things that I found to be particularly helpful and effective when it comes to dealing with those hard truths and sometimes uncomfortable realities that we must confront every time we enter into one of these conversations. What is the difference between good and bad feedback, in your opinion? It's a great question. And the, the difference between, I, I would call it, the feedback of fear and the feedback of joy, uh, because all feedback ultimately, hopefully, <laughs> is good feedback if we use it in a positive way. The problem is that the tone and the trajectory of a lot of these conversations are focusing on a past that we can't change and describe events that we can no longer control. And as a result of that, we're sort of locked in place with this sense of helplessness and hopelessness uh, about the message and the meaning of that feedback. So the feedback of fear looks back on a past we can't change. It describes events we can't control. It is usually focused on weaknesses and it tends to uh, relate to things that either have happened a long time ago or more recently, but are really outside of our realm of control. The feedback of joy looks out towards a future that we can still change. It focuses on strengths is really driven by relationships and not just reports. And ultimately, it fosters a sense of agency, not just accountability, by giving us control over the things that still fall within the realm of possibility. And it is in that realm of possibility that we discover the purpose and the promise of who we can still become. And so I think for for many people out there, especially uh, for those managers and leadership positions who are giving a lot of this feedback to their reports, I would say think carefully about not just what you're saying, but when you're saying it, because that cadence of feedback is so important and our message is critical, but so is our timing and so is our mindset. I think that is a really good advice, uh, Joe, because certainly for me, when I've been in management roles, I've always tried to give feedback more regularly so that then the performance review isn't some big laundry list of things that happened eight, nine months ago and people are going, what the hell? Why didn't you tell me at the time? I can't remember that. And I think frequent feedback is so important, both 
positive and constructive, it's really important to give people positive feedback and go, wow, you're doing amazing on that. And and I think the language around how you say it is really important. Uh, I love brain-friendly feedback or brain-friendly communications. What I liked about your presentation, Joe, was X. What would make me like it more is Y. There's simple tricks I think you can do in the way you say things that can keep people in discovery mode. The key ingredients of feed forward are humility and curiosity. Humility on the part of the person initiating that conversation, realizing that he or she may not know everything about the person that they're describing and the performance they're describing, and curiosity, a desire to know more and to learn more. And the difference between being a know-it-all and a learn-it-all, as as many have put it, uh, is really the difference of approaching with this learner's mindset. And that is really at the core of Feed Forward. That if if I want to go forward with the people around me, the people closest to me uh, in, in my work and in my life, I need to stop forcing a change on others. I need to use feedback as a way to provoke an insight. The difference between provoking an insight and forcing a change is this concept of really approaching as a mirror holder and not a window gazer. I love this analogy because to me, it sums up everything about the orientation of, of your feedback. If you and I were staring at a window, Kyle, looking at the scene in front of us, beautiful day in Maryland, maybe Ocean City in the summertime, and we describe the beach you and I might see the same picture, but have two different perspectives. You see fun and and excitement and activity, and I see crowds and noise <laughs> and hostile. And, and both views are correct because we're both seeing the same picture and have different views. The problem is in the context of work, there's no, only one view. There is not two. And that view belongs to the window gazer, to the person looking out at that picture, the person with the power, the person with the position. And ultimately, that perspective is the one that prevails. Now, if you shift that focus, which ultimately leads to all the terrible things that we associate with feedback, the fear and the, the loathing and the dodging and the disguising, and you shift that to a mirror holder approach. So now there's still just one view, but when I'm holding that mirror up to another person, that view belongs to them, not to me. And now my job is simply to enlarge and expand what they see, not to force my view on them. My job is simply to show them where to look, but not tell them what to see. And that shift makes all the difference. I suppose I look at it like this. You want the manager to shift from a strategy of what they see to letting people see for themselves is kind of how I've wrapped it up in my head, which I, I really like. Yeah, I think the key is to is to shift the dynamics from high stress to high touch. And and there are lots of ways that people can do that. Ultimately, it's about the relationship that you have with that person. Uh, for some people, speaking in the office of the manager, of the person giving that feedback, isn't scary. For others, it is. And so for people whose temperature setting is, is such that that is a stress-inducing experience, then we should do everything we can to make the feedback seem a little less stressful and a little more sensible. And ultimately, I think if we approach feedback as a relationship and not a report, and we start thinking about not what change am I trying to force, but what insight am I trying to provoke, then we really shift the dynamics from feedback as something that I do to someone to feedback as something that I do for someone. 
Feedback is something that we do in service of others. Uh, it should never be something we do for ourselves. I think that's so, so true. And I think sometimes managers are so busy and rushing. And, you know, I've certainly probably in the past, you know, myself, I always want people to do well. And I love giving feedback to people throughout my 20 years, because I think if people have a blind spot, it's good to, you know, make them aware of it, but in a way that they discover it themselves, uh, as you said. But there's times where people are busy and like, I think particularly when stress is high in an organization, et cetera. Sometimes people, I've certainly, I would say in the past, not been perfect at giving feedback. And I go, hey, I just got to give you this feedback really quickly because I'm going to another meeting. In that meeting, you could have done X, Y, and Z. I don't know if you've seen that yourself where it's managers can be overwhelmed with lots going on. How do they stop and go, oh, I've got to think about this now and, and make sure that my stress isn't turning into fast feedback that is making the person feel terrible? So if managers recognize that there is a cost to be paid, either on the front end or on the back end, then the prospect of having to rethink some of their assumptions around feedback actually is probably more cost effective. And the reason is because you're gonna have these conversations at some point. Oftentimes they're happening well after the events that they're focused on and that leads to a host of problems. Memory researchers talk about something called a forgetting curve where we start to forget things almost as soon as we learn them. And within the first 24 hours, almost 50% of what we remember is lost. And over the course of seven days, spikes to about 90% of memory loss. And so wow. you can imagine what that looks like in the context of a workplace where I'm trying to describe events that have happened a quarter ago <laughs> and, and I just, I can't recall and retrieve that information. And so it ends up being this forensic scavenger hunt where you and I are looking for clues and reconstructing events the way we think we remember them and we often don't. So if feedback is something that happens more regularly even if it's not elegant, frequency beats form. And this is something that Cisco uh, discovered recently when they were analyzing the, the feedback practices of some of their managers. And one of the things that, that they uncovered was that it didn't matter as much if the feedback was quick and a little bit dirty. What was more important is that the feedback was regular and dependable. There was a frequency to it. There was a regularity to it. There was a rhythm to that feedback. And from that rhythm, relationships were built. Now, of course, how you say it matters too, but just showing up for people and having that regularity, it makes feedback almost as natural as blinking. We don't think about it. We do it all the time. And it's just a natural part of our day. Well, yeah. feedback should be the same as blinking. It shouldn't feel like something that we've signed up for. It should not be appointment viewing. It shouldn't be something that we've uh, been waiting for for months. It should be something that is happening just as regularly as anything else in our day. Now, you also say, and I saw you said, said this on LinkedIn recently, you said feedback succeeds when the behaviors that accompany it build trust. Tell us a little bit more on that. Candor is kind. Because if we don't speak the hard truths, then we're talking around issues, not right at them. But candor is kind when it's joined by care. I was talking to Kim Scott about this recently. Kim Scott, of course. Love Kim um, Scott. Po popularized radical candor. Kim and I were talking about lessons learned from the field uh, and applications of radical candor and what has surprised her. And what surprised her most is that 
people think that radical candor is a license to hit people over the head with feedback, and that's not what it's intended to do. Radical candor really, as she put it, is best applied as radical caring. Because when people know that we care, they're going to care about what they know and what we can tell them about what they, what they ought to know. And one of my favorite studies on this actually came from the education sector. And researchers there were trying to understand the impact of feedback on motivation for student work and how they could continue to be motivated to improve. And so they asked a bunch of high school English teachers to give out two different types of feedback. One set of feedback was standard feedback, nice job, um, good, good work, you know, writing on the top of the essays, you know, good use of punctuation. The other set of feedback that was given out included the standard fare plus a 19-word statement on a post-it note. And it went like this. I'm giving you this feedback because I have high expectations of you and know you can achieve them. And Kahal, that 19-word post-it note made a world of difference. The researchers called it magical feedback, and the results were actually magical. Because of the students that got the magical feedback, the post-it note on their essays, over 70% voluntarily revised them. And of that group, of that 70%, more than a quarter of them outperformed the students who only got the typical feedback, which reinforces the idea that people don't care what we know until they know that we care. And so when feedback is accompanied by a sense of caring, then ultimately it will lead to the relationships and the results that we want and need. Wow. Thank you for sharing that study. That is that's amazing. I haven't heard of that one. And what a simple thing to do. Joe, we had one of your good friends on the show, the amazing Tasha Yurik. I wanted to ask you, how important do you think is self-awareness when it comes to feedback? Yeah, self-awareness is is absolutely critical, and I think it's the cousin of, uh, of Feed Forward. Tasha has great work that shows this huge gap uh, in terms of how we see ourselves and how others see us. Her research, she and her team, showed that almost 90, 90% of us have only 10% self-awareness, which is an astonishing gap. It's, it's basically saying nine out of 10 people are walking through life with toilet paper stuck to the bottoms of their shoes and have no idea that it's even there. <laughs> or they think worse, they think their shoes are spotless. And so... <laughs> And so it, it, it's, a, it's a huge problem. And that's why I think we can only get so far all by ourselves. And that, that was sort of the reason why I was failing at feedback and why I came to that crossroads and that you know very personal part of my life, because I did not have self-awareness. I was unaware of how others saw me. It was only when I sort of opened myself up to hearing other voices that I began to experience more choices in the person I could become. To develop that self-awareness, I think it's very critical to have people that you can go to, especially when you get negative feedback, who can serve as your sounding board, as your mirror, you know, to reflect back the things that you may not want to hear, but but absolutely need to know. To have that, that circle of critical friends, people who are willing to be honest with you, be honest brokers, and, and tell you the hard stuff, uh, with that sense of, I have your back. It's not a game of gotcha, but got ya. I got ya. And ultimately, that that is where that support 
is provided. And that is where that self-awareness resides. Tasha said something. She said that she asked one of those trusted friends that have your best interests at heart. She sat down with what she calls the dinner of truth, where she sits down with a close friend and says, hey, what could I do differently? What don't you like about me? <laughs> this friend said to her, and hey, you know, Tasha, I love you, but I hate you on social media. <laughs> And she was like, oh, my God, well, that's a brand issue. Like, I'm talking about self-awareness and you think I am like a totally different person on social media. I've got to fix that. Thank you. I really appreciate you telling me that. And I think that goes to your point there. Finding those trusted people that can give you the honest feedback that they're not out to get you, as you said, or create a gotcha moment. I think that is so valuable to people, but it takes courage I think so many people get so anxious about feedback. I always use the word context. I think it's really important that if you have someone in your team who has trusted you to ask other people to give feedback on them, if that feedback comes back in some of its negative, that you as the manager can give some context and say, hey, you know what, I can see why Louise or Claire gave that feedback because, you know, she's coming from this angle. She wants to get to this outcome. You're a risk person and you're putting some things up against that. So, and I, I think context is very important. And as a manager, giving that context so that people feel, okay, he or she is caring for me in this moment of vulnerability where I'm asking people for feedback. I don't know what you think about context in the whole feedback space. I think it's absolutely critical. And one of the techniques that I like to use with clients is something called a feedback wrap. Stands for what and where, reason, affect, and prompt. It's sort of the antidote to the praise sandwich, which goes by other names, but we're going to keep this as a family-friendly <laughs> show. Uh, and, and, and the Everyone rap, knows what you mean, Joe. Everyone, everyone knows. knows. Those who know, yes. know. <laughs> they know, yes. Uh, they know all too well. And look, I have no problem with praise. I mean, just in defense of the praise sandwich, praise pays. Right. It can be a powerful motivator and driver of engagement. The problem is the sandwich, right? Because when you sandwich what you want to say between two inauthentic, very often inauthentic pieces of praise, people can either sniff that out and then they start racing and bracing, you know, well, what are you really trying to tell me? Or they don't follow your message at all. And they end up being very confused by what you're trying to say. And ultimately, in both cases, there is no good outcome and there's no progress or change in behavior. What the wrap approach does is pair context with clarity and care. So it's a really simple framework. And I've seen it work wonders, really, from from every segment from every industry, no matter where people sit in that organization, and even at the home, you know, at the dining room table. Uh, so boardroom, <laughs> classroom, dining room, this works everywhere. So what and where? First, start by talking about what's happening and where it's happening. Give it that context. Because without the context, we're going to immediately go into threat uh, detection and ego preservation, right? We're going to try to preserve our dignity, maintain our sanity and our stability. We're going to do everything we can to fight back against the evil forces of feedback that are trying to conquer us. <laughs> so give that what and the where. You know, uh, I wanted to talk to you, Kahal, about something that happened in the meeting yesterday. Uh, can we find a good time to talk about it? So now you know it's about the meeting. It was yesterday. Uh, it's not about your sales numbers. It's not about your expense reports. It's not about your breath. It's just about the meeting that happened yesterday. So that takes me out of oh, Christ, I'm about to be made redundant, or it's really specific. So 
That's the W. Yeah, so you want to give that context and from there go to the reason. Now, there's a couple of reasons for giving the reason in that next step. The first is that clarity that you know we, we often lack, that lack of self-awareness uh, that prevails in so many of these conversations. But it's really also about demonstrating care. And we talked before about that post-it note study. It's very important to establish right up front that the reason I am giving you this feedback is because I care about you and I care about the impact that this is having on our work and on our team. And when you position feedback like that, it does feel very supportive and feels much less judgmental. From there, you go to A, the affect, where you describe the emotional toll this has taken. Again, moving the feedback out of the realm of judgment and into the realm of contribution. So you might describe the affect, um, you know, how I feel when this is happening. Kyle, I want to talk to you about uh, what happened in yesterday's meeting. The reason I want to talk to you about what happened at the meeting yesterday is because I saw you talk over Julie it kind of shut her down mid-thought, and that really derailed the meeting. And from there, we never really recovered. That's your reason. And then affect. I felt bad for Julie when that happened because I know that she wanted to share something important. I sensed there was a moment uh, that was critically important for our team that never materialized. And I also feel badly because now I know she's upset. And that's kind of putting a crimp on our team dynamics. And what you've done is really capture this fundamental human truth, which is people can argue with what we say, but they can't really disagree with how we feel. So by talking about affect, you know, how I feel and not judgment, what you did, we can put the feedback on much safer, stronger ground. And then finally you get to the prompt, the most important part of this, and that's the P, uh, because very often feedback ends with our own prescriptions of what we think the other person should do. Telling and selling, right? Us telling the person what we think they should do and selling them on our version of events like that uh, like that window gazer that we talked about earlier. A much better approach, a much more powerful approach, a much more fearless approach is to approach as a person who holds that mirror and simply asks, well, now that I've told you about what's happening and where it's happening and the reason and the impact that it's having and what it's doing to me and our team, where do we go from here? What do you think? And just listen and learn. Don't tell and sell. Because what you're likely to hear almost all the time is the person who gets feedback like that with a rap approach, stop, think, and ultimately produce an idea, a way forward that is as good or even better than the one that you would have imposed yourself. So don't force that change, provoke that insight, prompt that person on how we might go forward together with a rap approach, what and where, reason, affect, and prompt. It shifts the dynamics from fear to joy and from power to partnership. What's the biggest effect feedback can have on a person in your view? I think it can radically change the way they see themselves. And ultimately, our job is not to make people into miniature versions of us and to be more like us and the way we want them to be. Our job is to help them be more like themselves and the person they were meant to be. And that is the most important and powerful impact that feedback can have, this ability to allow people to discover that better sense of who they might become. And ultimately, when we do that, when we open that 
window of discovery for people. There is no limit to the promise and the potential that can unfold from there. I think that's such good advice, Joan, because a lot of people, you know, even my co-host who comes on at the end of our interview to talk through your key takeaways in it, she often talks about feedback made her nervous. She got told she needed to have more gravitas. And so she started doing a deeper voice. And then she was like, I don't even know who I am anymore. And I think that can be quite damaging to people, particularly if the feedback is always on the things that are people perceive as your weaknesses and you don't spend some more time on the strengths, right? And so for her, she got caught up in this whole thing of, I've I've been told I've got to have more gravitas. I've got to speak with a different voice. And she said it just really impacts her confidence for quite a long time. We haven't touched on it directly, but psychological safety is the foundation of trust and, and in many ways, the driver of fearless feedback conversations. And one of the key elements of psychological safety is that people feel safe to show up as they are, you know, their most authentic selves. And so our job isn't to, you know, treat feedback as a sledgehammer or something that we knock them over the head with. It's more like a shoehorn, a way to help them fit into more naturally the the parts of themselves that they already are. And so a shoehorn approach ultimately is subtle, but so much more powerful than just forcing this change on people, which, you know, can yield short-term results, but rarely produces long-term improvement. And so if our, if our job is to help people improve, then we need to be doing the things that allow them to become more like themselves, not more like us. Yes. We think they should be. And one final question on the feedback side of it. And thank you, Joe, for this. It's just been fantastic insights. We talked a lot about the RAP model and how to give people feedback. What about if some of our listeners in the next few days, they're about to go into a feedback session and they're maybe about to get some feedback? What's one of the biggest tips you'd give them as they get ready for that and maybe have a lot going on in their brain about that? Realize that feedback is not ever going to define you, but hopefully it will refine you. Mm. And, and the way that you can use feedback as a way to refine yourself is to approach with a sense of curiosity yourself, a sense of courtesy. Uh, so ask questions, try to understand what's really driving the feedback that you're getting. And there's a whole host of strategies around asking better questions to get better feedback uh, and to be courteous, you know, show your gratitude, thank the person for giving you that feedback and, and ultimately to be contrite, to own up to the things that need owning up to and to be constructive, to do something with that feedback. So if you can employ all four of those steps to be courteous, to be curious, to be contrite and to be constructive, then ultimately feedback will leave you better, not feeling bitter. Love those four C's. We will have to put those in the show notes. Um, Joe, that's great on feedback. And I am such a believer in feedback. I think it's so critical for our workplaces, for our people to feel good. Really, really great. Now we finish the show with uh, some questions we ask all of our guests. These are our quick fire questions. Now we're all about being better at work. What do you think is the smallest change our listeners could do to have an impact and a better day at work tomorrow? And this can be anything, feedback or something else, whatever you feel like telling us. Share feed forward, not feedback. Look out towards a future that people can still change and control and not back on a past that they can't. 
Now, can you share with our listeners uh, something you learned or experienced at work that unexpectedly made your whole life better? I go back to that origin story that we talked uh, about a little bit earlier in our conversation. And the most powerful question that I got was, who do you want to be? And I think we need to ask ourselves that question because the person that we think we are is not the person that we are meant to become or the person that we even are in this moment. So asking that question, who do you want to be, uh, is a simple, reflective question that ultimately opens minds and opens doors. Love that, Joe. And our final question, can you recall the best advice you've ever received that has made you better at work? Stop trying to prove yourself and start trying to improve others. Ooh, like that, Joe. Fantastic. Such great answers to our questions there, Joe. Thank you. These are words to live by. <laughs> <laughs> really great. Thank you, Joe. It's just been fantastic to have you on the show. We've wanted to have you on for so long. So, and I really appreciate you giving us your time. For more information on Joe, go to joehirsch.me. That is where you'll get more on Joe. There you will find out details on his fantastic book, which we talked about earlier, his keynotes consulting and the newsletter that I talked about called The Fix. I love The Fix. I'm serious. <laughs> I, it's so, so good. Plus, Joe has a podcast too. It's called I Wish They Knew. And I think all of our listeners would love it. He talks to some amazing guests and it's really digestible and short and sharp. So I love Joe's podcast. You've got to try it as well. Big ideas, small conversations. Frigging great podcast. So thank you so much, <laughs> Joe. We hope to get you back again at some point. And thank you for sharing all your great knowledge with us today. Thank you, Carl. It was a pleasure to be with you today. Welcome to Let's Take This Offline. Welcome, Annette, to Let's Take This Offline. How are you? Really good to be here. I am loving being part of Better at Work. It's Aww. helping me be better at work and better at home. And I'm also hoping that it's helping my Finn and Rose be better at school and, and in their Aww. lives. That's so sweet, Annette. Yeah, look, I mean, we're going now. We're, this is, we're nearly at 20 episodes. I can't believe it. So great having you on the journey too. And this week we had the amazing... Joe. Now, Joe, I had wanted on for quite a while, Joe Hirsch, because I think in it, a lot of people just don't know how to do feedback or receive feedback. And we had a lot of feedback from listeners that they wanted an episode on feedback. And Joe was the man we chose. And I think he did a great job. But what were your big three takeaways from Joe? Kahal, I love the conversation with Joe. And everything that you covered is so practical and applies to all of us when a role giving feedback or we're receiving feedback. And I've had a lot of feedback over the years as well. So just really energized with the practicality of Joe's framework. So my three takeaways are the first is the framework on how to share feedback or feed forward the RAP model. So the starting off with the what and the where, giving the specifics, then the reason why, and it's about in the context of caring. And then what the effect or the impact of what has happened. So it's the impacting relationships or impact on the team. And then 
ending with that, the prompt or the provoking the insight. So helping that person move forward. And this is really that the big part of it where it's holding up the mirror and, and helping the person move forward themselves. I mean, you know me, Annette, I love a framework. The wrap, I think, is so good because it's, <laughs> I love that it's the opposite of the sandwich, the, yes. <laughs> you know, where we try to give feedback with the kind of uh, shite sandwich. Um, you know, you're doing great, but, you know, <laughs> like, oh God, what's coming? So I think the wrap is great. I love that that's one of your top ones. And I think just having that clear W, what and where happened. I liked uh, the reason piece and the effect. I liked how the A, the effect on the person themselves, the manager saying, look, or the effect this had on, Mm. yeah, my feelings, Mm. or the effect they felt it Mm. had on someone else within the team. Mm. And then the prompt asking that person to kind of what are their thoughts on it? I just thought it was a very smart, easy to use model. So thank you, Ned. I think that's a great first takeaway. What was your second one? The second one is really the flip side of that. So when you are then receiving the rap and you're receiving the feedback or the feed forward, I loved how you and Joe went through that simple four things to think about when you're receiving feedback. The first one starting off with being, with thanking, being grateful and appreciative. And I say this to, <laughs> I say this at home a lot. All feedback is gold. So that gratitude. Second, then moving into getting curious, really understanding and asking the right questions to get to the real heart of the feedback. And the third thing is being contrite, owning up to what you may be able to improve on, what you wished you had done differently. So that contrite, contrition, owning up, acknowledging, and then ending with being constructive, doing something with the feedback. And I think this is these four steps around thanking, curiosity, contrition, and being constructive. It helps you put a frame around what can often be confronting, emotional. It's easy to go into defense mode. I love this how to receive feedback. Me too. Me too. And it's a journey, I think, for all of us. I mean, throughout my career, I don't love feedback because you're like, oh, this is going to be a criticism. So I really liked the approach there that uh, he gave. And Annette, what was your third one? The third one was around before you move into feedback, starting with asking the person how and when and the frequency of the feedback. And again, I think this lies to the holding up the mirror about Mm -hmm. the feedback is for you and it's the feed forward is for you, what works for you, you know yourself. So asking the person, how do they want the feedback to occur? I really loved that was a new insight for me. I think that was great in it, actually, because people will be in their own head worrying about what feedback's coming their way. So at least if you can tell your manager, look, this is how I like to receive feedback. I prefer to know right after the event or Maybe I prefer, look, can you give me a day? Because sometimes I don't like to get feedback straight away because often I know myself that I've maybe done something wrong and I just need a day to digest it. I find a lot of advice is give feedback as close to the event as possible. Or if you've seen something that you think, okay, I need to give Annette some feedback on that. Often the feedback is give it really soon. And I agree with that because I think doing it once a quarter is too slow. But for me personally, I don't like it like within that minute. I kind of often know myself that, okay, I've screwed up there. I'd rather have the conversation 24 hours later, if that makes sense. Mm, Yeah, I get it. When the emotion has gone out of it and you're 
done some processing yourself. So if you are in distress because of what's happened, do you really need some more, <laughs> some more right at that time? So yeah. I think that I love that from Joe about checking in and yes. before plowing on. You nailed some really great feedback there and it are three great takeaways, I should say. The only thing I would say that we didn't cover in the episode was, and this is for anyone listening, this is in the book and it's some really great detail in there on ways to heal the hurt of feedback because people do get negative feedback. And especially when it's from people you respect and trust, it be, can become quite an emotional drain, leaving people feel hurt. Uh, you know what I mean, Annette? Like, I mean, yeah, I, I've be, seen a lot of people mm, like that suffering it be, from that. can be crushing. So, so much more in, in Joe's work there around healing from when the feedback is devastating or it's delivered badly and 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 I think one point to that as well, Kahal, yeah. about within moving into a culture of fearless feedback, there's that watch point for leaders around what can happen when people move into radical candor and think, well, that's my license to hit people on the head with feedback, to tell them everything I don't like about them. And, and it actually can become destructive. So that's the watch point. And it's the flip side of that. The other discussion point with Joe that gave me goosebumps was the story around the magical feedback and the teachers education who gave that messaging around, I believe in you, you can do this, how much of an impact that had on the outcomes of students. And I was listening to the recording with my partner, Sean, who has taught architecture and design for 13 years. And he said, that resonates with me. I recognize that. So when I had a borderline student and I gave that encouragement and pep talk about, I believe in you, you can do this, you've got it in you. I'm confident that if you do A, B and C, that you will get this project over the line. He saw the impact of that. So I love hearing that goosebump moment for me, Kahal. That's so sweet, Annette. And knowing your lovely partner, Sean, I know that he would be very encouraging to his students. I think we can do that in the workplace. You know, I think a lot of people at work are looking for a bit of encouragement as well. Annette, I, I feel you and I do that a lot when we've worked together with people, just giving them the little encouragement that we know we back you. We know you can do this. Mm. And that's all people need sometimes. It's the art of the possible, starting with yes, believing yes. everyone can achieve an A plus and will work on the obstacles that are getting in your way of achieving that A plus, but starting from there. Yeah, look, a great episode. Thank you, Annette, for those three takeaways. A great discussion there with Joe, some really great insights into feedback. We hope you enjoyed it. There'll be more in our newsletter on feedback as well. Do sign up uh, so that you can get that. And we will share some more on particularly the wrap model, which we absolutely loved because it's so easy to use for any of you dreading giving feedback. The wrap model is a really great model that uh, helps you as the manager. And I think helps the person you're giving the feedback come to their own aha moment, which I think is always a much more, I suppose, uh, the ideal way that you want someone to get to where they want to get to by they realizing themselves uh, what they could do differently going forward. So thank you, Annette, for that. Now we have 
our question for this episode. The question this time is from Ashley and Ashley writes, Dear Annette and Kahal, I've just started a new job in a new organization and it's actually my dream job. Well done. That's great. Now, the team, though, is very clicky. Oh, and aren't including me. It's getting me down and I'm even thinking about quitting which is shocking to me, would really value your thoughts on things I could try to salvage it. And that's from Ashley. Wow, Annette, that's a big one, right? Um, You and I chatted briefly about this. We've definitely experienced going into teams where there can be a clique. But what are your thoughts for Ashley? This is really tough. It's serious. Cliquey teams what it actually is, is social ostracism. So Ashley is being excluded and that's a type of bullying. So don't underestimate when you say you're shocked by how you're feeling. That's understandable. One thing I'd say you suggest you do, Ashley, is take a listen to our episode 13 with Tasha Urich around self-awareness. And this will be really important here around really, you know, knowing yourself and, and holding true to that. And also through this, Ashley, stay connected with friends outside of work. That's really important. And that's known to be something that can help people when they're experiencing a clique, that they are supported by friends outside of this environment. I think the next step is preparing and taking a deep breath and sharing how you're feeling with your manager. Your manager, we've heard from Joe, won't be able to argue with how you're feeling. So come to it and explaining what's happening and how it's making you feel. It really has to be the responsibility of your manager to do something about this. This is not a problem that you can solve on your own. The next thing I'd say is don't join the clique that can be appealing that you know come in and join and you can be part of this group that continues to exclude others to resist that temptation and it, from your awareness and your experience it doesn't sound like you would jump into that anyway Ashley and the last point is to keep reviewing and checking in with yourself on how you're coping here because often experiencing types of bullying that can be like the frog and the um, water that slowly heats up to boiling and you don't notice because it's gradual and this type of toxicity over a, a long period can be damaging for your confidence, your self-esteem, your mental health. So if over time your manager doesn't take the lead in changing things here and things don't improve or deteriorate, then it might be time to think about moving on. And that's the advice that we had from Joe Folkman around workplaces where you aren't safe and you aren't thriving. There comes a point where it's it's time to move. Those are my thoughts, Kahal. What were your reflections? I thought about micro stresses. I feel like for Ashley, this is a micro stress that combined with other stress can just really take over. And and I didn't have that as my response to this, but I'm just thinking that life is full of micro stresses and dealing with a clique where you're not included is certainly not going to help. And you can see from the question or what I took from the question as well is that this is really getting her down, which is terrible, terrible to that someone is feeling like that. So I did some little bit of research myself and I saw that Seek found that one in two Australians believe their workplace has cliques. I 
can't believe that in it. That's so high. And while they are common, they're not always harmless. And this is the bit of data that I thought was interesting from Seek. Nearly one third of Australians feel left out as a result of not being in a clique with females more likely to feel anxious and dread having to work with a clique. I thought that was interesting data that Zeke had um, shared. And Annette, I actually had a lot of the same advice you had, right? You know, I had, should she join the clique? I'm like, no, because you don't want to abandon who you are. I was trying to work out why does the clique make her so anxious? When you think about, well, I don't know about you and it, but when I feel anxious about stuff, I go, is this an old wound for me from the past? Is there something in that? Has Ashley been excluded in school or has something happened that this is an old wound that is reappearing? And Ashley, that's fine. You know, I mean, and that's not to say the clique is right, but back to what Annette said about the bit of self-reflection, it could be that being aware of yourself here and that this is, this could be something from the past that's impacting you. That was something that I thought might be worth Ashley exploring as well. But I had exactly very similar advice to you, Annette, you know, treat all the clique members politely. I think that's really important. Don't engage in gossip with or about the clique. It's not going to do you any good. As you said, make connections, stay connected with your people outside of work, but also make connections with people at work as well. I bet there are people at the job who know that this clique exists and they're probably looking for some other friends as well. Mm. Right. I'm not saying it's going to solve the problem here. And as you said, Annette, you may need to get some support from a manager or counsellor here. I think having the conversation with the manager, as you said, is a good thing to do, because if the manager is really someone that wants to get the best out of his team or her teams, you don't want to have cliques. You want everyone to feel like they can bring their whole self to work, that there's an open place that everyone is included. So my other suggestion would be she talks to the manager and maybe she doesn't just moan to the manager. Sorry, moan is not the right word. She doesn't just bring up her grievances to the manager. Mm. She may suggest to the manager, hey, can we do some activities that might help break the clique? Some ideas and some possible solutions yeah. and that actually helps the manager. The manager may recognize yes. it, but really be at a loss on what to do, what to do about it. Mm. Yeah. As a leader, I think, you know, I've talked about this a million times. You cast a shadow and as the leader, you have to be a role model. And I have always tried to, and I'm not saying I've always been successful, but I've certainly always tried to be a non-clique role model, right? But I do think if she could go to the leader and say, hey, look, this is how I'm feeling. And as you said, the manager can't really argue. They're her feelings. And I think she should say something like, I really like working here. Like, this is my dream job. However, this is making me unhappy. And then maybe saying, look, I, I don't maybe even asking the manager, have you noticed it? Is this something you've seen? And maybe then some suggestions and go, look, I've seen she may not have seen it, but she can say she heard it from us in it. You know, I heard it from these two people I know. <laughs> They're friends of mine. Between Annette and I, what we're trying to say is make sure you look after yourself first and foremost. It's awful to be feeling like this. Keep your good friends close and use them, lean on them during this time. Talk to your manager, give some suggestions. And as Annette said, if it doesn't work, it might be that the culture is just not the right fit for you. And you want to work somewhere that's more open, that you can enjoy 
the people that you're working with. You're never going to, but I don't know Annette about you, but you're never going to enjoy everyone you work with. You're not always going to get on with everyone at work. And I think one of our guests recently said that as well. You're just not, right? Yeah, not everyone's going to like you. Not and everyone's okay, going to like you. And, not, exactly. and you're not going to like everyone. Give the manager a chance to stop that happening, right? How many mm. times, like if someone comes to me and says, oh, you know, I'm, I'm decided I'm going to quit. I'm like, oh my God, what happened? I could have, if I'd known, I'd have gotten you this other job because yeah. I think you're freaking amazing. Anyway, Ashley, you got us on a topic that we're very passionate about. Annette and I hate anyone feeling excluded. We hate it. We're with you. Look after yourself. Think about whether this is something from your childhood and then come up with a little plan. And we're here to help in any way we can, because we don't like to hear of anyone being excluded, do we, Annette? We don't. We don't like it. We do not like it. You want to have a friend at work, not uh, enemies. Okay, that is it for this episode. Annette, thank you so much for joining me. I loved this one on feedback. Uh, Just great to get Joe on and great to have you here to always help guide us along the way. Annette, we've had such great feedback on your on Let's Take This Offline and your great inputs. So thank you for joining me on Better at Work because you just bring so, so much to the show. Thanks so much, Kahal. Thanks for having me. I love being part of Better at Work and I'm also learning so much as well. So every one of these, I walk away with so much more. Me too, Annette. And I think that's why we do the show. What's that phrase? You, we're on a journey. <laughs> we're on a journey, but you journey. also teach what you need to learn yourself. Yes. right? And yeah, absolutely. That's what we're trying to do here. So thank you everyone for listening. And we will be back really, really soon. And Annette, you probably want to remind them to sign up to subscribe to us. You love doing that bit now. Yes. So we have a newsletter called The Better Bits, where we include key points from each episode and some extra things, usually some tools and some frameworks. So take a look on our website and look on LinkedIn. The information's there and subscribe. Also tell a friend. That's the best way that we can grow our community, share the podcast episode with a friend and share the newsletter. We'd really appreciate that. Thank you, Annette. Yes, and definitely subscribe, everyone, to the podcast as well. We are so impressed by how many people are listening. We can't believe it. So we're delighted with that. So thank you so much, everyone. We will be back really, really soon. We've got some great episodes coming for the next few ones as well. We've got an episode coming on confidence. We're going to have an amazing episode on performance as well. How do you make your performance even better at work? So lots, lots more to come. Some great guests lined up. So I hope you'll join us because as we always say, Annette, when work is better, life is better. <laughs> thanks so much, thanks, everyone. We'll see you soon. Thanks so much, everyone. Thanks, Carl. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Better at Work with me, Carl Quinlan. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends and rate, review or subscribe as this helps others find the podcast. For more practical tips, simple tools and ideas on how to aim for betterness, head on over to betteratwork.com.au and sign up for our newsletter. Until next time, watch out for those work jerks and keep reaching for better.